Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. Now, I'm a cat person. I actually, I love cats. I've had cats all my life, raised them all my life. So I tell him, Zach, absolutely not. I know what it takes to raise a cat. And it was one of those things where you're really excited to get to discover someone new, but you also have the sense that you've known this person forever. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hinken. And today on the podcast, Hidden in Plain Sight, two stories about people who realized love had been right under their noses all along. This first story is from Josh Greenberg, who uh, shared it very recently at a show that we had at Manor Mill in Moncton. Beautiful space. The theme of the show was the ones that got away. And so this is Josh's one that got away story. Take a listen. So I had a cat. Um, I had a cat that was dumped on my doorstep. I had a cat. He, <clears throat> I, it was like right before the pandemic. And um, a couple of my friends, my friend and his wife, both got kicked out of the Navy at the same time. It was so cute. They did everything together. <laughs> and um, my friend says, look, I need some space. I need some time. I need you to take care of my cat for a little bit. Now, I'm a cat person. I actually, I love cats. I've had cats all my life, raised them all my life. So I tell him, Zach, absolutely not. I know what it takes to raise a cat, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a student. I have no money. I have no job. I have no time. I can't raise a cat. And one thing I know about this cat is he has something called FIV. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's HIV, but for cats, feline HIV. So if I needed to go somewhere, I couldn't leave him with somebody who also had a cat because this cat would give their cat FIV. So I couldn't do it. I, it would be an inconvenience. So he said, Josh, just... You, you have to take care of this cat. I was like, actually, Zach, no, I don't. He was like, well, if you don't take the cat, um, I'm going to give him to a shelter. And I was like, that doesn't sound like my choice, but <laughs> go ahead, go with God. And he was like, look, just, just take this cat for one night. One night, and in the morning, if you still don't want this cat, let me know. I say yes. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can take the cat. That's fine. I've, I've got a heart of stone, all right? I'm not going to take this cat. I can spend a night with him. It's fine. So, of course, he gives me the biggest, fluffiest, orange tabby cat you've ever met. He crawls into my lap, cuddles up to me, purrs louder than I've ever heard a cat purr. And the next morning, I'm like, all right, how long do you need me to take care of this cat for? Um, and he was like... One month. One month tops. And I was like, okay, one month, one month I can do. For the next three years, <laughs> the next three years, this cat makes my life a living nightmare. That first night was the best night I ever had with this cat. All right? He meows so loud, okay? It actually gave me headaches. I had neighbors checking up on me like, what are you doing to this cat? And I was like, 
nothing I haven't fantasized about. Yeah. I, it, he he would. He, it was always about food too, right? Like he wasn't like nothing was wrong. He just always wanted food. Sometimes he would decide at 3 a.m. that he wanted breakfast, and he would decide to let me know that by clawing my face. So in the morning, I'm walking into work looking like Scar from The Lion King because my cat wanted a midnight snack. And my friends are like, are you okay? I'm like, things aren't so good at home. You know? <laughs> like, so um, there was one time, and this was the only time I got him to stop begging for food. So it was, it was like a bad time in my life. I had just started a job, wasn't paying that great. Um, so I was broke. Now, it was the day before payday, so I could get him food the next day. I had given him breakfast. I just needed dinner. So... I got, I got some rice. I cooked up some rice, I put it in a bowl, and I put it in front of him. He's been meowing all night, of course. Um, also all day, also the morning, and also the night before. <laughs> and he goes up to the bowl, and he looks at the bowl, and he looks at me. And then back at the bowl and back at me. Now, cats don't have facial expressions, right? But I knew exactly the look on his face. He looked at me and he goes, we're poor, aren't we? <laughs> and I look down at him, and I, I, I just nod. I just nod my head, and he looks away. He walks away. He doesn't meow for the rest of the night. It was, <laughs> it was insane. And he also didn't eat the rice. He didn't want the rice. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's just... You know, he had he was completely devoid of empathy. And also, you know, he's a cat, right? So, like, they don't know much about the human experience. But put a bowl of rice in front of this fucking thing, and he turns into Paul Krugman. He, he internalizes the concept of money and knows we have none, and then poor shames me for it. He's like, oh, oh, you can't give me food? You want, you want to give me this? No, you eat it. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Um, so he was so obsessed with food that when I realized it, it, it wasn't until he stopped eating that I realized something was, was wrong. He was getting a little lethargic. He wouldn't touch his food. I brought him to the vet. Lo and behold, he has pancreatitis and hepatitis at the same time. So I'm trying to give him like his favorite food. I'm putting it in front of him. Um, he's not eating it. He's not biting. The vet has to has to take like to feed him. Put a tube down his throat and put the food directly into his stomach. That wasn't sustainable for very long. You can't do that forever. So the next step was for me to take him home and try to syringe food directly down his throat. So I'm sitting there like in a bathtub for for nights on end, just with him wrapped around in a towel, trying to syringe food down his mouth. It was, it was awful. And the whole time, it, he was just getting weaker and weaker. He was getting jaundiced. You know, his skin was turning yellow. His eyes were turning yellow. Um, and it was not very long that I was told, look, it's time. You did all you could. Um, there's, there's nothing left to be done here. So cats with FIV, they, they can't go outside. And he always wanted to go outside. He would stare out the window and, you know, fantasize about being out there doing whatever cats do. So the last day, I was like, okay, screw it. You know, I'll take him outside. You know, he's going to be put down later that day. And 
he could barely lift himself up just to sniff the plants or enjoy the outdoors or anything like that. And I was right there next to him when when he was put down. I was petting him. He looked confused. There was no amount of rice in the world that could explain mortality to him. So, um, um, so I, I, I learned a lot about about I think myself about relationships through my experience with Snickers. Um, <laughs> on a, no, honestly, um, he was uh, uh, he. he you know, I didn't know what I had until I was losing him. I spent so much of my time with him, like, bemoaning the fact of his existence. And then when he was finally going, when I was finally losing him, I was fighting and clawing to keep him alive, keep him there. I just wanted him to scream, scratch my face, do whatever to show me he was alive. Um, but it was too late. So, you know, I mean, I think my takeaway is, is love the ones you're with. Don't take the things you love for granted. And, um, you know, knowing what I know now about own, having Snickers, owning a cat, and looking back on it, I think the next time I get a pet, I'm going to get a fucking dog. <laughs> Snickers. That's so sweet. I love Josh. And, you know, who came to see him in particular and... Uh, was standing like his biggest fan in the in Cat. the back of the room. Cats. Uh, Deb Wiener. Oh, okay. yeah. Local news anchor extraordinaire. Uh, yeah, he's friends with her child. So she encouraged him to put his name in. So those who are listening, you know, we have many shows in the Stoops future. So if you also want to share a tale, you can go to our website, stoopstorytelling.com, and um, submit a story. And we like dog stories, too, not just cats. And well, I know. That's what Josh said at the very end. He's, yeah. Maybe he'll have a dog story to share now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with another story. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. Okay, this is also from the same show that uh, Josh shared a story in, Christy Villalobos. Um, this is her very sweet one that got away, but was there all along as well story. Take a listen. We met outside of a bar because we were both 10 minutes early to our first date And the most time-efficient way to my heart is punctuality. So the date was going well so far. Um, We were both impressed by how tall each other was. We weren't expecting that. And eventually came out of the cold and into the warmth of very easy conversation. And it was one of those things where you're really excited to get to discover someone new, but you also have the sense that you've known this person forever, and there's just an instant connection and familiarity that makes you feel at home. And I knew in that moment my life was forever going to be changed. We continued to get to know each other and celebrated a lot of firsts, first kiss, first time meeting each other's friends, first argument, first time trying out the word love and seeing if it fits and finding it fits perfectly. And at this point, I realized it was time to introduce my new person 
to my family. And so I would like to now introduce you all to my family. Um, First, we are very close. I am the oldest of six kids, and we were all homeschooled. So in addition to being each other's siblings, we are also playmates, classmates, roommates, friends, and we are still very close to this day. Um, My family is also very direct. Translation. We value being authentic and honest over good manners. Um, So for example, (laughs) one time I got a haircut, and I'm like a teenager, right? So like already self-conscious. And my brother was like, were you trying to look like Mick Jagger? Like, is this, is this intentional? Um, so, like, that kind of thing. Um, so, very close, very honest, um, and also very Christian, which I'm not sure if you were tipped off on the, like, six kids that were homeschooled part. Um, but, you know, we, we went to the same church for, my parents still go there for over 30 years, and uh, we would spend maybe four to five times uh, a week there doing various things, Bible studies, youth group, children's choir. Um, and part of this faith tradition only recognizes romantic relationships between men and women, and my relationship was not that. And I knew my parents were going to have a really hard time, and they, they did. And this was the first heartbreak. This was the first moment where I felt like they were going to be the ones that got away, that I was going to lose their love, because it was an impossible situation. It is impossible for me to be authentically myself and love who I love, and also be the good daughter that I want to be for my parents. And similarly, it was an impossible situation for my parents to honor the the faith that they love and be the parents that they knew I needed. Um, So we really struggled, and it was hard not to only communicate through the elephant in the room. But eventually, after many very late and long, vulnerable, difficult conversations, my parents said they were finally ready to meet my new person. Um, and I, I think, I was thinking, you know, our love story is going to be so epic and so compelling that it's going to melt their hearts. And I think my parents were thinking, we are going to love her like so hard and she will be compelled by God's love and that will melt her heart. So we're all kind of like passive aggressively <laughs> loving each other. Um, which is fine. It, it worked, and it, it allowed space for me to continue with my relationship and celebrate some other new firsts. Like, we moved in together, and it was the first time I realized when people talk about home, it has nothing to do with a house, and it has everything to do with a feeling that you feel with another person. And then the next thing happened. Um, my partner proposed, asked, will you marry me? And... <laughs> my heart simultaneously soared and sank because it is one thing for your gay daughter to be shacking up in sin and it is a completely different other thing, a different, more permanent thing to start invoking the sanctity of marriage. And sure enough, it it was like going back to square one, just very, very, very difficult. And we all really struggled. My parents, you know, um, were consulting their pastor and other congregates and people they respect and I was processing and trying to come to peace with 
the possibility that my parents might not be at my wedding and asking myself, can I get married without my parents being there? Um, and it was, you know, it was really difficult for a year and a half. But eventually something happened. We had to lose something. And what I lost was the guilt and the shame around not being the perfect daughter, about not being the good child. Um, and I think what my parents lost was this abstract vision and ideal for who I could be so that they could embrace who I am. Um, and when I tell you that my dad gave a heartfelt toast at my wedding, it was like the impossible becoming possible. Um, it almost meant more to me than the vows that we exchanged. <laughs> um, and I, I wish, I wish that my story ended there. But a little over a year after that wedding day, um, I found out that my spouse was having an affair, didn't love me anymore, and wanted a divorce. But this is not a story about how my spouse is the one who got away. Because not only did my parents come to my big gay wedding, they also came to my big gay divorce. <laughs> and as I was sitting in the courtroom, like on one of the worst days of my life, I'm looking at their faces that are filled with genuine compassion for me. And I realized this, this is my love story. And so I feel like sometimes we limit ourselves to thinking of this like romantic Disney commercial version of love when really love is, and to paraphrase from my dad's um, wedding toast, we don't learn the most about love through the love that comes easy, but we learn the most about love through the love that challenges us, through the love we're willing to fight for to make sure that it doesn't get away. Thank you. Her parents were there that oh, night, they were. Oh. and they um, oh, so sweet. Her father, especially, no, actually, both of them were just like they had tears running down their face. Oh, they man. were so proud of her, and just I, so clear that they just adore their children. It was really great. Yeah, it's those kinds of stories where parents have a really hard time with who their kids actually are versus who they thought they would be or who they thought they should be and that they can eventually come around. That always is really good to hear. Yeah, you, know? you like those stories. I do really like those stories. Although Trudy has always been, Trudy's always been a big fan of the Ride LW. Or <laughs> Ride or die, true blue. <laughs> um, except when she was grounding my ass again and again. Uh in sophomore year. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to our show today. Thank you to Maureen Harvey for producing. You can find more information about The Stoop at stoopstorytelling.com and you can listen to all of our stories from our nearly 18 or actually 18 mm -hmm. years of existence. And we have a show coming up in December that we wanted to um, let y'all know about. Yeah, why don't you just um, say that title? Just let it roll off Chris the Mahanagwanza Ka Festivus. Yeah. How do you say it? Chris Mahanagwanza Festivus. Stories about the universal truths of holiday celebrations. It is December 12th. 
at the beloved Senator Theater. I'm so excited to be doing a show there again. And we have musical guest Jonathan Gilmore and the experience. So come out, check us out. December All right. 12th. We'll be back soon with more stories from this team.